another green beer and listen up. It's time for another stellar edition of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Rory Blythe. This is Karen Cavallaro here to announce show number 56 with guests John Box and Dan Fox. Recorded live Friday, March 19th, 2004. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and now offering classes remotely. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.net web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine. Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who has just been informed that Ayman al-Zawahiri uses a GPS system written for Linux, Carl Franklin. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Karen. <laughs> that was great. Karen Cavallaro, ladies and gentlemen. I am Carl Franklin, and you're listening to another great episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. With me in the studio, once again, is my compatriot, my partner in crime, Mr. Rory. That's right. I'm a new Londoner now. Uh, Blythe. How are you, man? I'm okay. We're, you're here. We're busted for that intro, but... <laughs> <laughs> I know. Get it? It's just a joke, folks. You know, that's what we do. We joke. Yeah, we I have, laughed. We have fun. I mean, uh-huh. I'm not going to bust us. No, no. Now, Chris A might be a little disappointed, though. Chris Anthony. Christopher Chris, Anthony. Not, Christopher not to be Anthony. confused with the real Chris A, which is Chris Anderson, Anderson of course, right. but, but Christopher Anthony, the, the zealot who's been polluting my blog with all right. sorts of freaky stuff. And who promises never to come back, and thank God. No, he promises never to come back until the SEC shuts down Microsoft for its involvement with SCO, so he probably <laughs> will never come back. <laughs> Well, as you can hear, I've got a little bit of a, a throat thing happening here, a little cold going on, but that's okay. I'm sure you can deal. And uh, so you're you're here to stay for a while. You've got a, now you've got an apartment. You got your car. I mean, what else do you need? A million dollars. No, I mean I've I've got all my stuff. Got the you apartment got the yesterday. Got the job. Yep. And I and my car came in a few days ago, which is really cool because now I kind of have this freedom to sort of. Well, actually, it's snowing a lot, so I don't really have all this freedom. But I can go sit in my car, and I can turn it on and turn on the heat and listen to the radio. But now stuff. you can drive to Starbucks, which is a few minutes away. Yeah, you know? once I figure out where it is. Once you figure out where it is. Yeah. And I've also got my girlfriend here. Yeah. i got Corey's in the, in the studio today. Corey's here in the studio. Rory yeah. and Corey. Yeah. We have one of Jeff's friends, um, Christopher, right? Will, Will. whatever. And he's, and he's got a <laughs> Linux shirt on. Um, yep. So, uh, and he laughed. Yeah, he thought it was yeah, funny. He thought it was funny. Yeah, but yeah, we're still going to take him out back and beat his ass after the show. <laughs> That's right. But... Yeah. <laughs> then your good. friends are going to come help you, man. That's right, Linux people. We got one of your comrades <laughs> up here in the studio today. Hold one them. of your commie comrades. <laughs> <laughs> no, and we're we're all, we're all having a good time. He's smiling. He's happy. Well, uh, this is the time in our show when we read letters, and uh, I got some emails here, and it's also a chance for us to give away some useless crap. Um, if you uh, write us a letter by email. Uh, and we read it on the show. We're going to send you a free coffee mug, a free uh, .NET Rocks coffee mug with our ugly pictures on the cover. Yeah, not like a Dunkin' Donuts coffee face. mug. No, or like no. a Starbucks coffee mug. Not a Dixie cup. 
Not know. until they sponsor us anyway. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts rocks. You know, we can do that. We love Dunkin' Donuts, right. Yeah, I'm sure they'd want to sponsor us, right? Well, this one comes from Frank Pucci. Uh, he's in, I don't know where he is, but he's in FP Consulting. That must be standing for Frank Pucci. I bet. I'd be willing to bet. Uh, and he says, I live in New York City and download the shows to my PDA to listen on the subway commute to the office. Great info. More Microsoft Office topics are appreciated. Cool. You know, I heard of people burning CDs and listening in their car, but I've never heard of somebody downloading it to their PDA and listening on the subway. You must get a lot of strange looks there, Frank. I actually used to download to my PDA and listen to bed. I've done that too. Yeah. But not my show. I've done that with other shows. I don't listen to my own show. Well, I did it with your show before I was part of your show. That's true. Okay. Well, next one is from uh, Eric Zjarby, and he's, you know, he's made his appearance on this show in various formats and different ways. Um, and also yesterday, I got some books, by the way, Eric, from A Press, and one of them had your name on it. It was about uh, Active Directory programming, which uh, was written with about four guys, and you were one of them. I was very, very proud to know that that you were just a, a lowly listener of our show at one time, and now you have been elevated to the status of author. For A Press. For A Press. A Press is a which good, is a great, great publisher. House, yeah. And he says, I just decided to email most of my questions for today's show so I don't keep annoying you guys during the show. Oh, and he also probably wants to just score a free coffee mug, right? <laughs> um, uh, he's, he's talking about things for, for John, basically. He's talking about uh, Yukon and smart devices. Is there anything to help out with synchronizing? So we'll ask John that question. He also talks about RDA a bit. And uh, data binding and smart devices and memory allocation. So there's basically nothing that I can read right now. So I'm just going to put that aside. You know, preparation is the key to having a good live show. (laughs) Uh, We'll leave those for John. This one is from Ed Myers, and he says, Carl and Rory, I've been listening to you guys on the train ride to and from work. Okay, well, here's obviously a guy who's got some sort of mobile device. And you just keep getting better and better. I'm sitting there on the train listening to .NET Rocks on my Dell Axum, hmm. which is also cool Another for PDA. watching MSDN TV. It's funny how the theme just sort of happened when we're talking with these guys about the pocket PC. smart devices, and right. here we go. Um, also cool for watching MSDN TV. I have to pretend to be reading a magazine so people don't think I'm too strange starting uh, staring out into space, and now Rory has me laughing out loud, so I get an occasional look. Rory's been great. Wait until you start wetting your pants. Right? <laughs> People think you're pretty weird for that, too. At first, I was a little skeptical about doing the show live, and now I think it's ten times better. When asking questions to Kevin McNish, suddenly you have... McNish, by the way, I mispronounced his name. When asking questions to Kevin McNish, suddenly you have the combined input of tons, well, 67 listeners, and you're asking more insightful questions from more varied viewpoints. Way to go using technology in a new way to make your show better. The object space discussion was very cool. When I got my hands first dirty in .NET, I loved the concept of being able to use the XML serializer to change any class into XML and back. Uh, that reminds me about uh, something, Rory. Uh, that would be uh, system.runtime.serialization.formatters. Oh, okay. it's a lot of dots. Yep. Uh, uh, for example, I'll take XML from various sources, XSL transform it, and then rehydrate class objects from the result. I'll also take a class and serialize it to XML, and then 
XSLT the result into HTML. It's all just data now. Classes, XML, data sets, they're all the same. Yes, they are. Isn't life wonderful? I got – oh, this is interesting. I got my department to switch to C Sharp. In today's scary economy, all I had to say is that C Sharp developers are in more demand and everyone say, great, we'll switch. I really like it, but it's no better than VB. I heard recently that VB would be, will have edit and continue, but C Sharp will not. I'll switch back in a heartbeat. I miss it so much. Using edit and continue enables Traitor. you to be a great unit tester. That's a good point. <laughs> At the end of a number of shows, I blurted out loud namespaces like system data.sql client. Even though I got it right, I only got scared looks from the other passengers on the train. <laughs> Keep the shows coming, Ed Myers. Philadelphia. Thanks, Ed. One thing I wanted to say is that uh, you mentioned 67 listeners. We're yeah. actually up past that nowadays. Yeah, we're almost to 100. Right? Yeah. Yep. We, we've been getting more and more each week, slightly larger crowd each week. We have 70 right now. And, you know, to tell you the truth, we really haven't even advertised how to get on the show live, how to listen live. Yeah. We put up a little blurb on our page right, you know, the day before the show on Thursday. So anybody who just happens to come along Thursday or Friday morning. Okay, this one is from James Wright, uh, who says, and he is from London, Beasley.com. Beasley, wow. It's a very English-sounding domain yeah. name. Yeah, Beasley. If it were Beasley.uk, whatever it is. The Beasley then. Theater. <laughs> Carl and Rory, the show is great, guys. Been listening a couple of months now, and I love it. Uh, listen to this. I listen on my pocket PC on the way back, on the way to work in the city of London. Hmm. Why is the show great? Well, I'm an IT manager with a systems background. The show enables me to learn the stuff. .net uh, ran off the page here or something, and I can't do uh, things that I can't do so that I can engage in conversations uh, with my development team about application design. Keep up the great work, guys. I now look forward to Mondays. How sad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we're just about to start a large e-commerce project for underwriting insurance. My dev boys are suggesting using a product called K2.net, which is at www.k2workflow.com. It looks cool for building workflow, but I felt that BizTalk did this stuff. Could be a feature on the show if you have any experience. Don't. Don't have any experience with that particular product, but you are now the owner of a – the proud owner of a .NET Rocks coffee mug. Here's another one from Chris S. Chris Stepaniuk. Stepaniuk. Sorry, Chris. Uh, fans, it might help a little bit if you um, spelled your name phonetically. It might be easier for me. Carl, listen to your show almost daily. Love it. A fresh voice is always nice in this sometimes empty world of cyberspace. I enjoy Rory's mindless banter and his Google weirdos. Mindless. Make That's what it says. <laughs> And his Google weirdos makes him always entertaining. The only complaint I have is why are seminars for anything technology-wise always in the United States? They, 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 bleh. do they not realize you can get computers in Visual Studio in Canada and make VB.net and COBOL.net in Canada as well? <clears throat> Didn't we just talk to uh, Jean-René Roy on the last show about a conference about going up to, in Canada? Yeah, Canada. Um, well, okay. This has always upset me. And then there's a, when there's a seminar in Canada, they always make sure we know that they are in Canada and not the U.S. Well, that's it's convenient for convenient people who are trying people to get to there. Know where it is, <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, so anyway, that's okay. 
He says, anyway, enjoy uh, my banter and rant. I do like your radio show and your guests and personalities on the show. Make it worth the 20 meg download. I have over one gig of MP3s from you now. Weird, huh? That is a little bit weird. (laughs) I say so myself. Please keep up the good work and bringing more interesting people on the show. Uh, There you go. And that's it. I am really looking forward to going to Montreal for that conference. Yeah, I had a great time last time I was there. And this is finally from David Eggins. Carl, I laughed for a week when I saw this, and he gives a a URL, which I will also give. Maybe you've already seen it. And what what this is a URL to is an assembler to MSIL compiler. Assembler to MSIL. All right, I'll say that again. This is an assembly language to MSIL compiler. It's really funny, but it's a real product. Mm -hmm. If you have to write code in assembly language and run it on the .NET framework... Well, there you go. Then get a different job because really? that's awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, after the letters, we do a segment we like to call Google Weirdos. So what's on the uh, agenda for Google Weirdos today, Rory? Well, first let me talk about it real quick. And okay. also let me say, that was the first time I think Corey had ever heard the theme song. It looks like she's going to break up with me. But uh, <laughs> these things happen. All right, so Google Weirdos is the result of uh, me paying attention to my logs. So people get to my site, neapoleon.com, through Google a lot of the time, and I look through the logs and I check the referrals, and I can see what searches people use to get to my site. And sometimes people put it in some really nasty, messed up, horrible things. Weird. Weird, for example. And these eventually constitute the part of the show called Google Weirdos. I read them off. And also as the show's been gaining in popularity, people have begun to contact me through Google Weirdos as this sort of cheap... One-way email system, I think, is how one person described it. <laughs> so I like to read those off first, the ones that seem to be the messages to me, and then after that I get to the weirdness. Weirdos. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the first one, Rory Blythe, my friends at about.com, read your blog, and so do I. Please add me to your weirdness thingy. That would be way too cool. So there <coughs> you are. You and your friends at about.com have been added to the weirdness thingy. Congratulations. Yeah. And again, that was sent to me through Google, which is so cool. Uh, the next one is Rory Blythe is the coolest man ever. I mean, hey, come on, you know. <laughs> I got to read these things. It makes me feel good. And then we get the next one, which is I hate Rory, which which proves <laughs> that time. which proves that not everybody who gets to my site through the Rory search is looking for Rory Blythe. They're looking for other Rorys too, because this obviously was True. not directed for me. Right. Ah, well, obviously. <laughs> we but but you seem to have a recurring theme on your blog, so people who hate you and then keep showing up to tell you that. Speaking of which, the next search is Roy Blythe supports SCO, SCO. That was probably Christopher <laughs> Anthony. Probably. Who could not get enough. And uh, the hell I support SCO, you jackass. And the next one <laughs> is Rory, is my wife cheating? And I think this was meant for me, but I can't quite figure out why they're asking me. Well, you are sort of the advice columnist of the show. Well, yeah, but I'm not know? like the oracle. I can't just see into all things and <laughs> penetrate you know, these weird psychic boundaries. I don't know, the kind of equipment that you have, you know, your cameras. What do you mean by that? Your, my equipment, wife yeah, cheating. What are you talking about, ca- Well, if you keep listening, I would tell you, <laughs> your cameras and your, your you know, PDAs and your, all of your little devices that you have, I'd be surprised if you couldn't figure out if the guy's wife was cheating on him. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so next one is Rory Blythe. Can I make it onto Google Weirdos? Yes. And the next one... 
Uh, I, I like this one. This is some creepy stuff here. Rory Blythe warning. For fun, Connecticut people like to piss in your drink when you're not looking. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. So that, that's it for the, uh, for the little one-way emails to me through Google. I'm looking at my can of Diet Coke here with a new eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are Connecticut people. Yes, that's true. Do you piss true. in your own drink when no, you're not looking? No, but Connecticut... that be kind of hard. But Connecticut yeah. people also are, uh, are all around us, if you hadn't noticed. I guess that's true. You never know. And they would piss in my drink just as easily as they would piss in yours. <laughs> Non-discriminatory in-drink pissers. Okay, right. so... This starts the actual that, weirdos. Okay, so those oh. are the people who are communicating with you. Yeah, those are the you. people who wrote to me through Google. And right. now we start with the, with the weirdos. The These people are the people who, who probably intend. didn't mean to get yeah. to my site right. and uh, who shouldn't be let outside to roam free. <laughs> so here we go. Hurt my feelings, Americans, Canadians. I like that because, you know, like how's that for a persecution complex? They're all out to get me. You know, all Americans and Canadians. This is general, very all-inclusive <laughs> Kind of thought. I think somebody's trying to manipulate the facts right there. Sounds like it. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say so. There's something going on here, something fishy. They're looking for somebody to support their point, that Americans and Canadians hurt each other's feelings. Or just this person's feelings. Yeah, but then again, I'm overanalyzing it. And thus <laughs> we don't like to do that with Google the, weirdos, the right? humor, yeah. <laughs> Next search is white trash blog, which proves that some people do find what they're looking for. This arrived at <laughs> neapolian.com. I've got another one here. You owe me a hug and a date. I just Ooh. want to say, I don't know you, Jack. All right? <laughs> I don't know you anything, buddy or sister or whatever. People get all bossy on Google. When they think nobody's looking, they can do whatever they want. It's like when you're in your car and you flip people off, but you wouldn't actually do it if you were in line with them at, yeah, right. at the department store. Uh, the protection of the virtual <laughs> yeah, virtual thingy. Yeah. The next one is, uh, can you smoke balsa wood? And the answer actually is yes. I mean, physically and technically, it's possible. If you put one end of the balsa stick in your mouth and light the other and suck, wood, uh, smoke will pass through the balsa wood into your mouth, but it's pretty noxious. It's black, and it doesn't taste very good. Mm. Um, you can, but would you? Well, if you were a Google weirdo, maybe you would. Well, actually, I mean, you would if you were in fifth grade <laughs> and you were supposed to be carving your Pinewood Derby rocket car. Oh, so wait a minute but, now. So. This was an actual episode that somebody found on your blog? Yeah, that's how I know that you can smoke balsa wood. That is physically possible. But it's not as ah. pleasant as, you know, lighting up a cigarette or a cigar or something. Okay, well, you, you got to stop while you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got another one here. There are some big bugs up my butt. And, uh, <laughs> maybe they're looking for a doctor. I don't know. That's right up there with a the pig milk one. <laughs> So you got another one here? Diving dolphin sex toy demonstration. <laughs> you know, I think I think it's time to call the ASPCA. Right? <laughs> this is like one of those things that really rich people get into. Too much time on your hands. You own a dolphin. Looking for something to do. Lonely on a Friday night. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so we got another one here. Uh, how does Rory know so much about herpes? Just let me give you a kiss and I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> Moving on. You're killing me. We got we gotta give me back my donut. All right. You send me a self-addressed stamped envelope and I'll get your donut back to you. Okay. I feel so bad for you. I'll buy you a donut and I'll ship it to you wherever you are in the continental United States, offer not good in Puerto Rico, avoid in Alaska. Um, why do people go bald? Because you've angered God. <laughs> Got another one here. This is some weird stuff. I have no idea where ones like this come from. Rabbit killing sex. 
kind of a disgusting <laughs> freak puts that into Google. And what are you looking for? And how did you get to my site? <clears throat> Gross. All good questions. <laughs> Got another one here that's a little less specific. Beat up a something. You know? Like, I'm just angry and I want to beat up a something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Google to help me out here. Beat up a something. What would you beat up, Google? Got another one? On a cold and gray Chicago morning, and you know what comes next. A poor little baby child is born in the ghetto. <laughs> in the ghetto. <laughs> I just did that one because I, like I like to sing that song. That's You've like been my singing song. that song since you got here. Look, I can quit anytime I want. I'm not an addict. Get off my back. Okay. Just feeding the monkey. Um, got another one? One-legged hooker. That's what they're searching for. Like they're discount shopping on the internet or something. Um, another person wants to know about English people. They just wrote about English people. And huh. I can tell you that they're just like everybody else, except they eat this yeast extract called Marmite, which makes normal people <laughs> puke their guts out on contact. Aside from that, you know, English are just like you and I. Um, Here comes the email. <laughs> <laughs> well, we come are, on, we are in over Marmite 50, is pretty messed up. We are in over 50 countries, you know. <laughs> no, Marmite's only in one of them, okay? Yeah, but they have Vegemite in Australia. Which yeah, is they're similar. weird, too. Yeah. All right, we got another one here. When do brain come up with aha moment? <laughs> I love that one. And I don't know when brain come up with aha moment, but maybe you're going to have your English language aha moment before too long. Okay, my friend? Got another one here. Uh, bathroom etiquette small wiener. Um, join a support group. All right. That's my advice. Uh, no, he's looking for a can of Vienna sausages. <laughs> and how do you look for this politely in the bathroom is what he wants to I know. So. Okay. Maybe I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sick minded. I don't know what I was thinking, Carl. You're right. Um, how much for a pet monkey? Nine ninety five plus shipping and handling. Neopolian.com. <laughs> and then finally, the last one. God, I mean, this is hard for me to say just because some of these are Uh-oh, a little weird. Tricks to start urination in dogs. Oh. Can't you just ask Obviously nicely? a veterinarian. <laughs> Tricks to start urination. Like, look over know. there, dog, and maybe you'll stick start his hand, Stick his paw in <laughs> a oh, cup no, of warm right, water. Stop. There we go. All right, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that that's Google Weirdos for the week. The end of the month is always weird because we just get this huge long list of freaky stuff. Absolutely freakazoidal, man. Well, our guest today, Rory, we have two guests and with very similar sounding names. In fact, that not only do their names sound similar, but they have the same exact number of syllables in their first name and last name. And, uh, Can we just often, call them guest one and guest two? Often get people get their names confused, especially when they're checking into hotels. Uh, John Box and Dan Fox, and they wrote together a book called Building Solutions with the Microsoft.net Compact Framework, Architecture and Best Practices for Mobile Development. We'll talk about the name thing in a minute, but let me int- give them a formal introduction. John Box is of no relation to Don Box, by the way. Right. Yep. He is a regional director from Memphis. He is a speaker on the INETA Speakers Bureau, a uh, most valued professional or MVP for the .NET Compact Framework. He is mobility editor of the .NET Developers Journal. He is the co-founder and co-leader of the Memphis .NET Users Group and absolutely focused on .NET and mobility. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. Great. 
Dan Fox is an author of Building Distributed Applications with VisualBasic.net in a previous lifetime and uh, LearningADO.net in 21 Days. He writes for various magazines. He's also spoken at Dev Days, TechEd, and TechEd Europe. And he's also on Microsoft's Architectural Council, or whatever he called it. We'll find out what that council is all about. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Carl. Thanks, guys. I'm, I'm pretty excited to be on, especially yeah. right after that last segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, can, can, can I ask a technical question before we get started? Yeah, sure. Okay, John, you're from you're from Memphis, right? That is correct. Okay, so... I want to know, is there still a Tennessee blue law that forbids the purchase of diapers after 6 p.m. on Tuesday? No, they've, uh, <clears throat> they've actually expanded that law. It's going to cross every day of the week now. Oh, man. I'm just wondering, no such law. Okay, because my dad was in the Army when I was younger, and he tried to buy diapers for me in Tennessee on a Tuesday in the evening, and the whole aisle was covered in this plastic. And, and he, took, he, he reached behind the plastic, took a bag of diapers up to the front desk, and the guy looked at him like he just put roadkill down on the counter. He's like, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> He's like, well, I'm buying diapers for my kid. So I was just wondering if that was still a problem, but I guess not. Maybe he was just playing a trick on my dad. I don't know. Not, not familiar with that law. So. so, John, you are calling from San Diego today? Yeah, West working Coast out of today. our San Diego office today. And is Dan in San Diego? So Dan, are you in San Diego? No, I'm in Omaha today. You're in Omaha, but you guys do you guys work for the same company? We do. Okay, but your company, Quilogy, has offices in, in different places. How many offices do they have? That's 15 offices across the, the U.S. And, wow. Uh, I'm based out of Memphis, and, and Dan's based out of Kansas City, and we, we travel a little. So when you wrote the book, did you write the book from your different locations and just, you know, sort of zip up doc files back and forth to each other or? Yeah, you sure did of... writing, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, John, uh, I noticed that you guys spoke at several Dev Days events and Rory and I just got back from what we think was probably the killerest Dev Days event of all, the, the Boston uh, Dev Days event. Which, I heard about the intro. Are we going we to get to hear that? No, no. But if you um, listen to the show that we did a couple weeks ago where I played Toy Boy on the, uh, on the air, it was the same version. Okay. Yeah. But um, what sessions did you do? Uh, Dan and I teamed up on the, uh, the Smart Client track and did uh, uh, several of the cities in the Mid-America district. Okay. And uh, that was the, the one all about the Windows applications, Smart Clients. So what is the difference between a smart device application and a smart client application, by the way, John? There, there seems to be a question that was on everyone's mind at Dev Days. Well, you know, and that is a good question because people do get that confused and think there's, there's some overlap. But a smart device application is really intended for a device, typically a smaller device, something that can run, you know, like the, the Windows CE or one of its derivatives like pocket PC. Right. Um, but that's a whole separate thing, you know, and, and, and we, with visualstudio.net, we can take advantage of smart device development, use the compact framework and put an application, deploy it on the device. Right. That's the smart device kind of quick answer. The and smart client the, yeah. answer, the definition of that is obviously the principles apply to both sides, to a desktop server and, you know, a small device. But, you know, the, it's a very interesting discussion of how do you define a smart client. Right, and I found that, you know, um, one 
one speaker had one definition, another speaker had another another definition. Is there any standard sort of definition that Microsoft is handing down now that with that they've come to any kind of consensus? Because we used to call it, you know, things that were simply auto deployed were smart clients. Now they've seemed to add into the mix web services and security. And, you know, are all those required before we can call it a smart client? And is it a trademark anyway, or is it just sort of an ideal? I think it's definitely more of an ideal. I don't think it's, a, it's anything that has a, you know, an official definition to it. But one of the things that I found uh, interesting in the Dev Days content is that we, uh, in one of the sessions, in the introductory session in the smart client track, we went ahead and, and defined kind of the attributes of a smart client. So you can kind of get there by, you know, talking about in the big picture what, what a smart client is. And to me, the two defining things, you know, that were in there is the ability to work um, in an offline mode in a seamless sort of fashion. And one of the examples, you know, that we held up at Dev Days was not only the issue vision client that we used in the examples, but also, you know, something like Outlook 2003. It's right. a great example of, a, of an application that has great offline support. However, the second attribute, you know, is, is the ability uh, to auto-update itself. Outlook okay. 2003 does not do that. However, something like, Microsoft Money, you know, has that capability. So Microsoft Money kind of hits all the, all the high points there, being a, you know, a rich user interface, being auto-updatable, you know, working in offline mode, et cetera, um, mm-hmm. as did, obviously, the issue vision client that we, that we kind of went through. So to me, the, you know, the auto-updating and the ability to work, work seamlessly, both online and offline, is kind of the, kind of the defining attributes. Yeah, I was going to say that... Uh... It seemed to me from from the slides and from doing the presentation, and first of all, I actually wanted to say smart device application. Whenever I was about to say smart client application, right. it was really hard for me not to do that. But uh, <laughs> it seems that a lot of it has to do with being able to intelligently handle disconnected scenarios instead of just blowing up if you happen to get away from the server where there's some sort of a problem and uh, dealing and, and actually implementing good security for your data. Those seem to be two key points. Security seemed to be a very, very strong point that was being made through the conference in terms of everything and also in terms of smart clients. So what about data access with web services? That's not necessarily a requirement of a smart client, you don't think? Because you could obviously just make an internet connection to a SQL server. and Or use remoting. Or use remoting, right? And is that still considered a smart client? I, th- I thought the idea was that the smart client just simply provide secure data access, but it wasn't so much how is the data access being performed. Uh, and, yeah, I think that I would yeah. agree with that because um, certainly if it's a .NET uh, client and you can use you know remoting to get at the data, that's still valid as long as, like you're saying, the other attributes are in place, the data is secure, and you're, you can work offline, and, and then you can auto-deploy. So. so, Dan, you did the sessions one and four, so you did the what, you know, building smart client applications and auto-deploying them? Correct. Is there is there anything that uh, that you picked up in the in the session four that you know that was new to you? Well, I think um, in terms of you know talking with uh, some of the attendees, certainly after the the presentation, um, a lot of them understood you know the general idea, and they had started thinking about designing applications that were auto updatable. They had also started a lot of them looking at the app updater component, which is the example that we used in the uh, in the session and that's the one that's been out there you know for several years and that you can get on Windows forms 
.NET. Um, they weren't as familiar with the updater, or the updater, the updater application block that you can now get off of the Patterns and Architecture site. And so spent some time uh, talking about that and how it's a little bit more robust uh, version and has more sort of pluggable entries where you can insert your own uh, code to do the downloading, your own code to do the verification of the files as they come down and, and so forth. So I think there was a lot of awareness there, but in terms of the particular tools that you could use, you know, a lot of people weren't aware of the application block that has now been out there also for quite some time, for almost a year, I think. Right. So, uh, so one of the things is it seems that you guys had this idea of architectural principles for mobile applications, right? Do you, do you want to talk about that for a minute? That's, that's kind of the, the core uh, concept of the book, um, that there's certain architectural principles that apply. It's, it's not rocket science. It applies to all applications, but uh, we just wanted to, to emphasize them, especially since a lot of people come from the .NET environment. People mm -hmm. know how to leverage .NET on, on the desktop and on the server. And they think that because it's still going to be .NET on the device, they should come right over and it's just going to be nothing to it. So we just try to emphasize some very simple uh, concepts and, and explain what's involved in each of those concepts. And, um, and, and the, the four are basically how to handle data locally. That was the first one. Um, handle, how to communicate uh, remotely and send and receive messages to uh, other devices and servers, that kind of thing. The third one was how to work with the data um, in, a, in a robust, mature way, and that, that would include like relational data, like uh, the SQL Server piece. And then um, the, the fourth one was how to do synchronization, which is a part that, you know, and it's, this goes back really to the whole smart client idea as well. Mm -hmm. right. yeah. People have not really had to learn how to do synchronization for the most part, and that's a real issue um, for devices. It's going to be a real issue uh, in the future for people who do smart clients and you know, it's a big chunk of Longhorn as well. Right now, in your in your book, you <clears throat> excuse me, in your book, uh, you you describe different scenarios for doing these things. One of the easiest things that I've found for synchronization is simply to use the the built-in SQL Server and synchronize with a either a SQL Server on your desktop or somewhere else. Is do you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, yeah, I think um, you know in that uh, SQL Server CE which is the version of SQL Server that you install on the, on the smart device. Um, it actually has two uh, forms of synchronization or two forms of communication uh, that you can use to communicate with a SQL Server over the network. Um, one of them is the one that you mentioned. Um, it's actually just a merge replication client uh, that is running on the device. And so if you're familiar with merge replication uh, just in SQL Server 2000, you know, generally it works you know, it works the same. You create the same subscription. You then have uh, classes in the .NET framework uh, to be able to uh, create subscriptions, manage subscriptions, and then uh, sync with that, with that subscription. Um, it also, however, on the device in SQL CE, um, has a piece called Remote Data Access, or RDA. And so if you need kind of a lighter weight way of pulling data from SQL Server, uh, changing that data, and then shooting it right back up again without the merge aspect of it. In other words, if you're doing a lot of creation of data on the device, which a lot of applications do in terms of data collection, like, you know, somebody takes the device out and, and does uh, evaluations or inspections of, of uh, trucks or something like that, they're going to be creating records on the device, and then they can shoot them right up to a SQL server, 
and it's a, a lighter weight approach. It doesn't require subscriptions on the server and so forth. So in the book, we try to outline, you know, what are the, the scenarios for which RDA would be appropriate because it's a kind of a lower bar to entry, and what scenarios do you need the full sort of merge replication, you know, typically when you're sharing data amongst multiple uh, users as they bring, you know, data down to the device and take it out again. So is there any sort of two-cent overview of, you know, when to use which that you want to give here, or are we going to tell people to buy the book? Well, of course we're going to tell people to buy the book. <laughs> you know, I think the, the short story is if you are doing more creation of data on the device, RDA is, is something you should look at. If you're doing more um, editing of data that is, is shared that you're going to bring down from the server first, then merge replication is typically better. Very good tip. Now, now one thing, what about in smaller shops or smaller situations where they might not have SQL Server set up? Do you, do you talk at all? Um, I'm just curious. Do you talk at all about uh, ADOCE and the managed wrappers that people have built for it? Or um, is that one of the issues we try to avoid now because we can? <laughs> well, we talk about it in terms of saying there was this thing called ADOCE, <laughs> right? Okay. So, yeah, we're focusing more on the on the managed code that's available in the Compact Framework. and. There is not an ADOCE managed wrapper that ships with the Compact Framework, although, like you say, um, lots of other people have written have written ones for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so which that's that's one of the challenges of doing this kind of development, isn't it? I mean, <clears throat> you can do the Windows Forms development very easily, but once you start getting out of sight of that, it's when the real learning curve begins. Right, and that you know, obviously leads to a lot of other discussions and, and challenges, and, and that, that is an area that we we try to cover in the book. That that's the way it was back with the uh, with the last version of the embedded visual tools EVB three and all that, where you could do a certain number of things relatively easily. But then anytime you really had to get to work, it was just it got pretty it got pretty gritty. And that gets and, sort of down to the compact part of the compact framework too, which typically you know if you're a .NET programmer, which this book is really for, I I think you know if you're somebody who already does you know, VB.net or C Sharp, and you've been programming in the .NET framework, you, you know, now your task is to figure out what's not in the compact framework rather than what is. I mean, pretty much, you know how to use streams already if you're going to do streaming, you know, to, to access files locally. But, you know, you need to find out what's what's not there. What uh, what are some of the things that are missing from the .NET compact framework? Well, you know, overall, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Compact means it's there's less there. And while there are, you know, maybe 6,000 types or something like that in the in the desktop framework, there's about 1,700 or so in the compact framework. So it's about a 25% um, subset. Yeah. And then in addition, you know, some of the methods don't have all the overloads that a desktop developer is used to. So they'll get in there and start programming and they'll say, well, I know I could use, I used to be able to pass an object to this thing and right. <laughs> yeah. be able to do this for me. But then you find out that you're going to have to write some of that yourself. I knew I used to be able to serialize an object. <laughs> there you go. Well, no, that that is the big shocker. When yeah. I talk to people about the CF, they say all my overloads are gone. Yeah. 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 Exactly. All of them. <laughs> or or the overload shows up and, yeah. and you call it and it throws an exception because right. you've stubbed it out. Yeah. Yeah. So so what are some of the things that are missing? So you mentioned one of the biggest ones, which is generic uh, XML serialization. So or even binary. Of- or even binary serialization. Exactly. Yeah, There's the no ability to take an object and, and serialize it to a to a file directly. So in that respect, or to get around that, you know, 
the use of the data set becomes a little bit more important because it, it does have its right XML method and you're able to serialize it and save it to the device in order to come back and use it later. So. Yeah. But All a few right. other things um, are things like common interop. That's kind of a big, big one. Pain. Yeah. What's that, John? That's definitely one of the big pain points we hear about because people have code that they've already written previously. If they're coming from, you know, that embedded environment or the EVB environment. Right. And that's, that's, that will be addressed in the upcoming version. But there is, if that's an issue for people, there, like you said earlier, there's a third-party solution for that. I took a look at that. That's the one that it, it you basically uh, pass, it, it'll host ActiveX controls and you pass in the name of whatever method or property you want and then a variable list of arguments. Right. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I, I did take a look at that myself. And, and there is a way to do it yourself. We have a section in the end of the book where we talk about some of the challenges, and, and one of those is if you if you needed to, to call a DLL, then you know, that's one way that you can do p-invoke to get to that DLL, but you can also create a DLL that will wrap com, uh, com object, and that's kind of, you know, your way of doing, um, you know, com interrupt yeah. today. What about remoting? Is, is remoting there at all? Nope, no remoting. Um, Things like asynchronous delegates would be another one that we hear a lot about. I want to run, you know, a little process on a background thread to check for a network connection, for example. That's a big deal on the device is that, you know, you're not always in range of the of the wireless access point or you're not always, uh, like on a pocket PC phone, you're not always connected. So they want their apps to be able to recognize when a connection shows up. Well, asynchronous delegate would be a decent way to uh, to be able to run a background process like that. Would be. Yeah, it would have been. <laughs> it would be. That's right. <clears throat> what about um, things like uh, application configuration files is another one that hmm. people can't really believe it's not there. Well, I mean, how... So they look for it for a long time. Really, how hard is this to do, though? I mean, you write some stuff to a file, you read it in. System I.O. is very, very robust. Well, not very, but it's robust enough to write, read and write files. To do your own parsing, right? Yeah. But that's, that's the challenge. If people are going to have to write sometimes a little extra code to yeah. do these things they took for granted... Uh, on the desktop framework. Yeah, they got to redo the plumbing. So so what about things you get in addition or, or, or things you, you get that the desktop doesn't do for .NET? Like what, what kind of extra stuff is there in the CF? Well, one of the things that John talked a little bit about in the book is uh, the IRTA support, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get that in the, in the desktop framework, but you can certainly create pocket PC applications that, you know, communicate with each other in sort of a short range short-range mode. So. Then there's the uh, area of now, let's, providers. Let's define IRDA first. I-R-D-A? Infrared. Okay. So so meaning that I could programmatically send a file across an infrared connection or something. Any kind of message you could send hmm. across. You know how it is. Sockets, man. That's, that's your story. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Another area is, is the data providers. Okay. Most .NET folks are you know, used to having four data providers, when you come out of the compact framework, you only get the uh, SQL Server, plus you get the uh, SQL Server CE data provider as well. Hmm. That, that's that's a, a pain point for some people because they want to use OLEDB to do some of these other things, but that's not that bad. There's yeah. um, also the area, Dan, about the, the forms, the Microsoft.WindowsCE.Forms namespace that has some addition additional classes there. Hmm. Like what? Like what do you have in there that we don't have on the desktop? 
Well, the main thing that's in there is the uh, soft input panel. Right. So on a yeah. pocket PC, you need to be able to pop up that keyboard and and uh, uh, grab the input from it, you know, capture events from it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a soft input panel control that shows up in the toolbox, toolbox, and you can just drag it and drop it on your on your form and capture some events from it. So. Which that sometimes is a design issue for people because they put a lot of stuff on the bottom of their form. And if you pop that thing up, you can't see right. the controls that you left underneath uh, the input panel. Yeah. Well, uh, we have a question from Rick Childress uh, for Box and Fox. And you guys must really be sick of this, huh? Well, actually, there's a new twist to that <clears throat> going through our company <laughs> right now. Uh, Box and Fox on .NET Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking we're gonna we're gonna take that and stick stick with it. <laughs> hey, whatever works, right? Uh, this is from you know Rick. Uh, Rick says, "What are your thoughts on the killer app for the Pocket PC and the Compact framework that will allow Microsoft to make headway in the mobile arena? Because obviously, you know the Microsoft isn't doing so well in the mobile arena in the U.S. Anyway, is that is that your experience as well? It it is our experience. Uh, luckily, we have other offices that you know, are working in those markets, and we, we get to see more opportunities. If if we try to survive off the compact framework, opportunities in Memphis, Tennessee, you know where I live, it, it may be tough. Yeah. Hmm. But um, yeah, they, they are out there, um, and this applies to any mobility topic. Really, it's not specific to the compact framework. It's just for some reason in the U.S. we are slow to adapt. I don't know if it's an economy or or people are scared of investing in new devices or. Um, it's, but that's, I think that's a great question. What is going to be the killer app that kind of gets this thing really kick-started to another level? Um, and I think it's going to be some kind of uh, business productivity app that, that just has got to hit that sweet spot, and we just really haven't found it yet. Well, I think from, like- a, from a corporate space, you know, Pocket PC, you know, penetration in the corporate environment is a lot higher than it is um, in the consumer market, certainly. And so one of the things I think that'll continue to drive that is, is producing tools like the Compact Framework. I mean, when I talk to people and I teach, uh, you know, classes on .NET development in general, a lot of them are surprised to, to see the Compact Framework and see how, um, how professional, object-oriented, you know, development can be done on the device. And so that, from a developer's perspective, that certainly stirs a lot of interest. And so, I, you know, I talk to a lot of people that are investigating or starting projects and one of the main one of the main reasons is that they feel that the technology is now accessible for the developers it's yeah. you know it's going to be a right. product or a project rather uh, that's going to be you know able to be completed so you got to look at how how simple it is uh, to be able to do that and i think the compact framework takes us at least part way down that road what do you think about the cost factor too? Like in the United States, we have great laptops and we have tablets and we have great desktops and stuff and we have access to these things that do a better job of, you know, laptops in particular, do a better job of taking data with you and going somewhere and doing something with it. But they're obviously more expensive. You know, uh, is it that other countries uh, just find these, you know, $500 things to be less expensive and a little bit lighter and cooler. I mean, what is? what do you think? you think that has anything to do with it, like the economic factor? I think that's a tough question. I think if you knew the answer to that, you'd have it all figured out by now. I, I, Maybe. I think it kind of oh, – Another sorry. thing to this is that, you know, the, the form factor 
for trying to do some kind of business application, uh, people start thinking about the data collection and want to put some kind of you know, very advanced form on this device, and that doesn't that doesn't work very well for for input purposes. For output, yeah, you can do a lot of things like you know tab a bunch of windows and, and be able to move around and scroll. And you can do all that, but right. when you look at maybe the form factor of say a tablet PC, you can put a more advanced you know input and output on that device. Uh, bigger screen real estate. Yeah, it's more expensive, but it goes back to that that smart client idea, which is, you know, there's a ton of parallels between the smart device and the smart client, mm-hmm. right? All the smart client principles apply, like we said earlier. So if you have the ability to create an application that has a disconnected support for collecting data, storing data, and then synchronizing back to a data source, that's a pretty compelling argument for, for building a business application. But then it's just the cost of that form factor. Well, and I think you also have to be in the right role. You know, compact framework applications, you know, being smart device applications in the corporate space anyway are suited to people who have to, to walk around and look at things and be unencumbered by putting a laptop under their arm or even a tablet uh, PC and able to do data entry that it doesn't require a lot of text. You know, it's all inspections based. It's all, you know, data collection of, of um, you know, checking, you know, checking inventory, doing inspections like home health care kind of inspections. Um, entering data on, we're doing one project where where people are going out with the pocket PC and they are entering data on uh, uh, bales of wood or or uh, whatever you want to call it, shipments of wood that come in where they inspect them for quality and then decide, you know, what to do with them and they can just check off uh, the options for that. So, you know, it's definitely a, a niche in the kind of role that a person plays within the company to, to even be able to use an application like this. It seems to me also that the scenarios you're describing require a large amount of trust on the part of the management to empower their employees with these devices to go off and take them home and, you know, uh, take them out into the field and do their thing. And, uh, you know, is it that we're more of control freaks in this country than in other countries? I'm really trying to get at the heart of why these smart devices haven't taken off. Obviously, we like toys. Yeah, the devices are going to have to go out anyway because if you have a mobile field worker, right, they've got to take some device out in the field. That's and true. people are already doing it with laptops. And right. they're doing it with, you know, FedEx yeah, yeah. and UPS do that. So you got to do it somehow. But I just wanted to say about the about the killer app, it seems that I, I would be very surprised if there were ever like a killer app that got everybody wanting to buy a pocket PC, right? It's it's sort of what's the killer app in your industry. It's a real vertical kind of application. Like on on uh, on the flight over, yeah, I agree. The the attendants, the airline attendants, when they were selling us food, were using pocket PCs with you know little little cash register type app hooked up to pocket sized printers, you know, and that's perfect because the situation would have been terrible if they had had laptops and if they had to write everything down on paper or walk back to the to the you know tail and back or something like that and do things that way it would be a pain in the butt tablets wouldn't work there either because they were too big so walking down the aisle and taking orders on that pocket pc that was a killer app for them so it's sort of like the killer app defined in these little vertical islands I right think. Yeah. yeah and i think it probably goes back to the point that dan said earlier it's got to be for the right situation exactly right there, yeah. yeah uh michael berger or michael berger from purdue university in uh, west lafayette says i was wondering john and dan's thoughts on open net uh, OpenNetCF.org and the smart device framework. I tell you what, uh, that's one of the. I mean, if you, if you we talk about resources for the compact framework, 
that site and that group of people specifically. That, that's a site that's run by uh, the MVPs off the Compact Framework, uh, some of the original set. And those guys are, were very active in the news groups and still are. But they, they took this, this set of snippets and basically you know, built up a library of snippets in the beginning days of their, their group. And then they, they made this framework that kind of fills the gaps that the Compact Framework has today. Um, and basically, to, to, until you get to the Whidbey version of the Compact Framework, that is a, a secondary resource that, that people should check out. Yeah, in fact, I would say that if you were starting a new Compact Framework application today, you know, one of the first things that you would do is you would go get Smart Device Framework and look through it to make sure that you're not going to reinvent anything because all the common or many of the common things are already there. So in the book, for example, mm -hmm. we have a whole section of one chapter that talks about P-Invoke, you know, because the Compact Framework is this 25% subset, you have to end up going out to the WinCE API to do lots of things from, um, you know, doing anything with cryptography, for example, to uh, dialing the phone, if it's a pocket PC phone. And um, so we talk about how, you know, how you would get to P-Invoke and what are some of the issues that you'd have and, and so forth. Well, a lot of those, you know, once you've downloaded the OpenNetCF framework, you don't have to worry about that because they've implemented the managed classes that wrap all that stuff for you. So wow, that's an awesome definitely, thing. Definitely uh, yeah. one of the first resources that you'd want to get ac get access to. Now, you mentioned, you know, instead of waiting for Widby, so you obviously have used Widby with smart devices. It, you know, can you outline some of the things that, I mean, the cat's out of the bag for Widby. What are some of the things that are going to be there? For example, Ian from uh, BOA in the UK says, uh, XP SP2 is building a good Bluetooth communication stack. Do you know if this will be added to the new version of the Compact Framework? Just as one example, like what else is? Well, actually, the, the timing, the, the Compact Framework team uh, has not released any any new bits for Whidbey as of yet. Um, hopefully, you know, next week is, is Mobile DevCon, so hopefully we'll, we'll see something there. But um, we don't actually know the exact set of features yet. Um, they did have a, a presentation at PDC that talked about uh, possible scenarios. But that was still up for discussion. It wasn't locked down. So anything that we we say would be, you know, it's kind of speculation at this point. Okay. If we, we promise. I, I don't think we can promise features. You can, Carl. You're, you get a bigger <laughs> name than we did. <clears throat> no, but I still don't. I know If I knew, uh, I could conjecture, but I don't know. Well, I, I know that, I mean, we, we kind of got an idea of certain uh, issues that will be addressed. You know, like we talked about common or op. Are some of these things still under NDA? Is that what you're saying? Or it's not that they're just not under NDA. Yet. They just haven't released it yet. Hmm. Okay. I know that they had the first internal lab just a couple of weeks ago, and um, I know some MVPs were there for that, and I was unable to make it. And uh, I don't think those guys even got bits. They got to touch the bits, huh. but they they didn't have a way they could take them with them. So hopefully next week in San Francisco. Okay. Well, Marcus Egger from uh, EPS Software, they do uh, Code Magazine just uh, wants to clarify that, uh, hey, Carl, laptop prices are not really different in places such as Europe. However, and this is a good point, if you sit in the back of a cab and want to pull up a map to see if the guy rips you off, do you really want to use a laptop for that or a pocket PC? <laughs> if you sit at the dinner table with your wife or date and you want to see if a movie is on in 30 minutes, do you want to go to the theater's website with your PDA? Or do you want to pull out a notebook in the middle of a restaurant? <laughs> well, I personally would use neither because I have manners, Marcus. Um 
Uh, I don't bring my devices to dinner with my wife. I've whipped my PDA out during dinner. Well, that's a personal thing that uh, <laughs> you need help. Well, Corey's nodding over here. Yeah. She she remembers this, yeah. It is excuse me while I whip this out. <gasps> it is also a matter of connectivity. In Europe you can really use these devices practically everywhere, while here I am happy when they work in my office. Yeah. I wrote a recent e com about that for Code Mag and people seem to be quite emotional about the subject. Man, I I tell you, that's so true. Yeah. We're but behind he, the curve there. So he yeah. thinks the first killer app for pocket PCs is a high performance coverage over hundred percent of North America. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, definitely. When you talk about about uh, even creating uh, corporate applications for people to take pocket PCs out, you know, the issue is how long is it going to take before I can get to a point where I can sync? Right. You know, and in the U.S., that's that becomes an, an issue because you're going to have to go back to your regional or local office or whatever, perhaps even you know stick that device in the in the cradle and have to use active sync to get the data back to the network. So there isn't always, there isn't usually any kind of wire wireless option for be able you know being able to synchronize. So yeah, if, if it's easier it gets, you know, the more more acceptable that kind of application is going to become. That's a good point. And that principle applies to any of the devices, right? It's not specific to a small device. And you think do you think the uh, the dot com bust and the subsequent fall of all the wireless services, you know, relatively speaking they were going gangbusters and then the economy dropped out and they all sort of fizzled and slow down a lot. Uh, you think that has a lot to do with the fact that uh, these things haven't caught on as well as in other places? Certainly didn't help, but you know, there's enough spots around. You know, hot spots. Well, maybe where you are. I mean, it's a big country, you know. And then there's there's services out there that you can you know buy a card, subscribe to, pay your you know fifty to hundred bucks a month, and you can have access just about anywhere that you. That's buy. what I do actually. I have a. Uh, I went to Radio Shack and got a uh, uh, because it was the easiest place I could get it. I got a a compact card, you know, a PCMCAA card for Sprint, and uh, it's like seventy bucks a month, and it's no limit, and I can use it anywhere that you can use a Sprint phone, and I get about one hundred twenty eight k. Carl's the only guy who I am you from the back of a cab and say, I'm in the back of a cab right now. And you just want to smack him. <laughs> you know, so why, why is you're really it jealous. Rory, that you were unable to blog from the cab? Uh, he didn't use my computer. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have the drivers for the card. Sounds like someone needs to invest uh, some money in some employees. Then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have his rubber gloves. All right, well, uh, we're going we're gonna to take a break, guys. Sit, uh, sit tight, and we're going to um, hear a word from our sponsor and a little bit of music, and we'll be right back. Hey, Carl Franklin here, giving a shout out to my friends at Data Dynamics. Uh, we've talked a lot about Active Reports on this show, and this is no exception. So, I'm talking about ActiveReports.net. This is a port of their popular Active Reports program. If you're currently thinking of doing reporting in.NET for Windows Forms or web applications, check out Active Reports for.NET. Uh, many of my friends in the business use and swear by ActiveReports.net. I use it as well. Let me just tell you, to say that the reporting is simple does it an injustice because it makes you think that it can only do simple things. It can do very powerful things, but you don't have to go through hoops just to set up a simple report. When you create a report, the report exists with your application. Okay, It doesn't exist on a server somewhere. All right, we're not talking about enterprise reporting. We're talking about, I have some data, I want to print it out, or I want to show it to the user. 
PDF format is supported, HTML format is supported, all the great features you'd expect from a reporting engine, drop dead simple, and the best part, it's not going to break the bank. They have a great licensing scheme that's easy to deal with. So check it out at www.datadynamics.com. Now let's get back to our show. She was tender though, and even though I broke the ribbon first, she said. 
said she won. She won and she never even had to try. She was laughing all the while. In my mind, I could see her running over me just to Believed her. I told her I loved her so, and even though she never cracked a smile, she said she won. She left me, yeah, she let my love go cold, and even though she lost her love again, she said she won. She won, and she never even had to try. So Aaron Walker has a uh, just a comment to make. He says, a company that I do some consulting work for does billing for small coffee shop type companies that offer wireless access. To see a list of their coverage, check out http colon slash slash isps dot net slash directory. Well, thanks a lot for that, Aaron. That's uh, pretty good. We got another we got another question here. From Eddie Rico, who is a uh, regular listener from NGensoft in Florida, he says, "What does he think? I guess that's the the royal he, right? Sure, he <laughs> as in everybody. What do they think <laughs> about the new screen capabilities that will be coming out? Since uh, the CEOS already supports higher resolutions than most of the PDAs are capable of, and how do these new devices um, build, allow for more extensive apps to be built? It's a good question. It's a good question." Yeah, definitely the screens are getting better, but um, I don't know. In my opinion, that's not so much of a big deal. I think the bigger deal is the processing power, the RAM, battery life, and battery life. the yeah. multiple ways that you can get network connectivity. Like today, the traditional or older, like an iPad-type device, you, you know, it's either got a sleeve or it's got uh, integrated you know, 802.11-type connectivity. Um, now they're starting to add Bluetooth to that. Right. If you buy like a pocket PC phone, that typically just has a cellular type connection to it. But the newer devices have multiple ways to get network connectivity, and I think that's that's more important than just screen resolution or brighter display or things like that. I, I totally agree. I was taking a look at I think it's the Toshiba E800. It's one of the newer Toshiba models, that one that supports the 640 by 480 resolution. But the screen isn't really 
bigger, right? So is it really going to be easy enough to read anyway? And you're going to lose that pocket PC form factor if you increase the size of the device to accommodate a larger screen, and it's just going to become the equivalent of a very small tablet. So it almost seems like the resolution, like you were saying, isn't really the focus. I think you're dead on about network connectivity, battery life, things like that, storage. Battery life is an issue with the device that I have, the um, the network uh, device that I have for Sprint PCS. That thing really sucks down the battery juice. It, it only lasts for about 15, 20 minutes, and then I start getting complaints. And I have like mega Mondo batteries in there. It mm-hmm. uh, doesn't last long. I think to echo what, what Rory said, you got to remember that on these devices, if you're not going to increase the absolute size of the screen, but you are going to increase resolution so that you can run at higher, you know, higher resolutions, um, there's still a limiting factor there in terms of what people can uh, point to with the stylus. You know, there are guidelines for right. how close you put controls together, and especially if, if they're not going to only use the stylus but try to try to use their finger to, to touch one of the mm-hmm. controls. And so you're already, you know, you already have some limitations there that you're not going to be able to get around even as the screen size, you know, screen sizes increase. And, of course, generally for business applications, the graphics are not the are not the thing. It's the connectivity and the functionality, of course. So. Right. Another point there is that, um, you know, we started off on uh, pocket PC-style devices that you did have a stylus. And obviously you can buy little uh, add-ons to the keyboard and that kind of thing. But just recently, Dan and I got smartphones, and there is no stylus in the ones that we have. Um, I think a, a, a big issue for people coming up is an area of design, the UI design. Uh, people are going to forget that now it's just uh, all you get is a choice of several buttons. There is no stylus. <laughs> right, so right. if you put an app on the smartphone, it's definitely the navigation is going to be different. And then you're already constrained when you get to a, you know, more of a, a pocket PC device anyway. But you're going to be more constrained when you go to a smartphone, um, smaller form factor on top of that. So you guys must deal. you guys must see a lot of applications written for these devices, what are some of the typical things that developers get wrong when they develop for compact framework devices? You want to take that one, John? I, I'm, I'm thinking there's just so many things that pop right in my head. It's not rocket science, but there is a decent uh, long list and, and there, there are some repetitive issues. Uh, design, UI design is one big thing around mm-hmm. navigation. Mm-hmm. Like too uh, comprehensive? People or? try to build a desktop application into a right. constrained device is a, a big base issue that leads to a lot of problems. And uh, frustrated uh, users don't enjoy applications that don't function well. Well, and I was going to say, as a result of that, I think, you know, you see applications that have just slow load times because people try to put so many controls yeah. on the first form that, that they see and use lots of, you know, they want to use tabs and so forth, but the more controls that you throw onto those tabs, the the longer it's going to take to load the application. So generally from a UI perspective, you know, uh, keep it simple, stupid. Well, what if you can? I mean, what if you absolutely have to collect lots and lots of different pieces of data and you have to have, you know, 10,000 text boxes? Then it's back to that. You need to look at your scenario. You yeah. get a tablet. <laughs> exactly. You're probably looking at the wrong scenario. Right. You're trying to make something, you know, fit into a scenario that's just not intended to work out that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I think another thing is that uh, developers coming to uh, the smart device world from a desktop world aren't used to some of the workarounds and gotchas, 
right? When, when you're dealing with these devices and you're reading all the news groups and you get involved with the community and everything, you start to learn that there are certain things that people do to get around certain problems that you're not going to find in the documentation. You know, like every once in a while I get an email from somebody who will say, well, look, I've got this compact framework app. Actually, I did get this email. I've got this compact framework app I'm supposed to be maintaining. And it's this tab with like a bunch of controls on it layered in a fashion so that this guy can switch between the tabs instead of having to load up new forms, right? People, people tend to get involved with their own little secret tricks to, to, to optimize their apps uh, in, in certain very specific ways. It was like back in the EV, EVB days when people were building these gigantic forms and then they would scroll around the form to simulate the switching of forms. So they yeah. just have one big form and they would just kind of pan around it because there were issues with creating new forms. I'm pretty sure that one thing that happened is when you closed your form, the memory was never released. Wasn't that a problem with EVB? I, I don't remember. I'm trying to remember. There. That's a, a, another issue that comes up is that, you know, when you click, click that little X button to uh, close your application, the, the Pocket PC guidelines uh, don't want you to actually close that process. Right. It's still running in the background. And that, mm-hmm. that throws off desktop developers as well because in a debugging environment, they're used to, you know, shut off the application, go back and look at the source, and but then they try to redeploy it, and it says oh, it can't because it can't override the the, the executable that's, that's currently running on the device. Yeah, that's well, that's another problem that we see a it, lot of. It brings up an interesting question, which is, you know, the these things are in the current state they're in today because of you know advances in technology and how rapidly they're being uh, accepted, which is driving the price down and making you know the RAM expand and all this stuff. Right now, today, I mean, let's face it, we're, we don't have enough RAM. We don't have enough storage. I just read in Popular Science that they're working on Toshiba or somebody is working on a Hitachi, is working on a hard drive that's the size of a, a, a die, like, you know, like you play Yahtzee with dice, <laughs> and it can store about a gigabyte. And these things are supposed to be out in a couple of years and, you know, will be in everything from cell phones to this to that, the other thing. And will be less expensive than flash RAM. So, you know, how at some point, probably pretty soon, the whole architecture of these things is going to change, giving us a lot more space. And at that point, are we even going to have a compact framework? I mean, what do you, I mean, I'm not asking you to predict the future, but what are your thoughts on where we're going with this stuff? Like, like would the compact be referring to the form factor or to the size of the framework anymore, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the big, uh, the reasons that the compact framework is, is the way it is is because they don't want to create such a large footprint on the device. So, you know, all your overloads and all your extra classes, those can all be in the future with devices with more memory are all going to be available. Now, you'll still have um, the issues, you know, like the screen-related issues in terms of having controls that are particular to the Pocket PC, like soft input panel and things like that. But in terms of bringing the compact framework up to a level of parity with the desktop framework, that's you know, to me, that's kind of an inevitable as the devices, you know, gain more resources. So you guys are sort of optimistic about the, the future of these things in terms of uh, pretty soon now we're, you know, we're not going to have all these constraints? Absolutely. Technology always always gets better, right? Yeah. Uh, Rory, you actually built a, a Pocket PC application for uh, documenting your ailments or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, what the, the, my getting to know you, uh, .NET CF app was I was having this problem with facial numbness and I don't have real medical insurance. 
So I kind of had to resort to my own do-it-yourself medical history application. And uh, I just wrote this app that made use of GDI, a bit of XML, mobile jumbo here and there, to, which allowed me to record on a daily basis where the numbness was in my face. I had, I had the image of a face, and I would draw on it. And, uh, and uh, then I would record, say, how many cups of caffeine I had or how much booze I had been drinking that day. And now how you much turn them I into had. cartoons and put them on your blog. <laughs> right. No, but I, it, it was a lot of fun. You know, I was actually surprised. Coming from EVB and EVC++ a little bit, it was so nice, even with all the restrictions, to have all the power that was in the .NET CF. I, I really fell in love with it at, at that point. And you, you do learn a few things, right? Like uh, if I had the, the images that I was making where you would draw on the person's face, say circle around the lip, maybe that's where the numbness was that day. My first approach was to save those as bitmaps. And I, I learned very quickly that there wasn't space for that. So I switched to a custom vector-based drawing format and I started re- just recording, you know, the, the points that connected the, the lines and... You just learn these little tricks. I think I think developing for the .NET CF is a lot of fun, actually, because you get to figure these problems out. That's one aspect I really like. Getting back to the uh, storage thing, Josh Baltzell asks, comment about Pocket PCs. Storage, to me, is the killer app. I want movies, music, and all my projects with me at all times. I would buy a Pocket PC if it had a 10-gig drive. Yeah. Well, I mean, just think back to um, your, your email at the beginning of the show. How many people did you refer to that are downloading... Uh, your archives, and and using those in in you know uh, times that they can't be real productive, and they're they're taking those times and making them productive by taking advantage of a pocket PC. And yeah, that's a good good. Those point. are going to be the areas of of uh, to me. I mean, it's not necessarily a killer app, but those right. are areas where people are going to definitely take advantage of these devices because they're easy to carry with them. They're easy to use, and and, and the power of these devices will only increase. And just like you said, that that storage. Uh, you said the size of a a, a dice. Yeah. A die. Yeah. I, I'd seen an article and I had blogged on it about um, one of these Asian companies has um, I don't know it's two a two gigabyte hard drive the size of like a fingernail. Sweet. We'll start seeing in devices in a year. Hmm. Wow. All right. Well, there you go. I mean, it's going to happen. That's that's yeah. good. So to summarize, the uh, killer apps are networking, storage, and personal healthcare. Right. I, I suppose so, yeah. <laughs> what, what about you guys were chatting during the break, uh, Solitaire? <laughs> no, I, I'm serious. I, I play Solitaire in my pocket PC all the time, and I know a guy, this buddy of mine, Rick, who uh, Rick Langdon, who uh, he has a pocket PC and like gouged in the screen are the lines from dragging the pocket. The, the all right, I got two words forth. for you though, Game Boy. So no, 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 no. You cannot get Windows Solitaire know, on the Game but, Boy. Yes, but... This is the Solitaire we're all If you want to play games, though, you buy a Game Boy. If you want to use this thing for, you know, productivity, business, and stuff. Solitaire is a drug, though. It's hardly a game. <laughs> I mean, we've been hooked to it since Windows whatever, whenever it came out, and it's that same version that we've known and love, and it's been shrunken down to, to, to fit on that pocket PC, and my God, True. I love it. What about printing? Will the namespace system drawing printing... Ever show up for Visual Studio.net compact compact framework development? That's an excellent question. Um, you know, there is, the, the, it's true that it's not in there today. There is an excellent uh, third party solution that I think most people go with. I, I don't have the exact name in, in front of me, but um, if you go out to the news groups, you'll definitely see it because it's it's highly recommended. The future, I would I want to say yes, but I don't know for sure. Um, I know that's one of the big requests that they get. That that the common ROP, the the remoting piece that you mentioned earlier, um, 
Uh, I'm going through some stuff now, trying to see if I see that on the list. Well, while you're while you're looking for that, one of the issues that we hear about is the lack of a way to detect network connectivity. Hmm. Why is this a big deal anyway? Couldn't I just ping some known URL and find out if my network is up, or just try to do something and then catch the exception? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and you could you could definitely do uh, both of those things. Um, they would, you know, we're doing it that way. You're actually trying to make a network connection, and so um, it's a little more resource intensive than hmm. doing something like um, determining your current IP address. Hmm. You know, when the device, like a Pocket PC Phone Edition device, is not uh, connected, it, it doesn't have an assigned IP address. Right. So one of the things we do in the book is we show a little uh, function or method just to use the the DNS class in the um, in the compact framework to be able to check your IP address. And if you have an assigned IP address other than, you know, 127.001, um, then you, you have a valid network connection at the moment and you, then you're able to, to synchronize. I find the uh, network setup in general to be maddening. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it always thinks you want to dial with a modem, you know, when I don't have a modem, I, I want to do IP connectivity. And uh, it's just a, a real pain to, to figure out. Like five what, different dialogues, yeah. each with different or, network connectivity information. Yeah, yeah, I have a pocket PC. I have the, the, the top-of-the-line HP. Which, Upgrade. Which, well, I, I just got it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I just got it. It is the current state of the art. Yeah. Well, if you use that, the new OS. Yeah, I'm using the new OS. I still okay. think it's hmm. kind of a pain. That should help. It has an, uh, an enhanced connection manager. Hmm. Yeah, it's better. It's better than the last one. The last one was ridiculous. 2002, I think, was the last one, right? Yeah, 2003 is better, but it's still kind of hard to find things. But, but um, like, how do you tell, like, th another thing I found is that I've been doing sockets work with the, the smart devices in the Pocket PC. And when you're in the cradle, you don't have a real socket connection. Even though you have a socket connection to the to the computer, like, you can't just communicate with it over over sockets or over the network the active sync thing is a really kind of a weird network setup Voodoo, Voodoo. yeah so i recommend to anybody who's going to do any you know real network programming that you get some sort of wi-fi card that um, is a excellent tip um when people start out doing development they, they want to work through that cradle and active sync across the, the you know usb is is not very fast one of the fastest way to deploy code to a device is, you know, over the 802.11 type connection. Yeah. Much, much faster. Not only that, but it's just cleaner. You don't have to, you don't have proxies and all sorts of other weird things to get a network connection. Well, and it also brings up another conversation of the folks that come, and maybe, maybe Roy can speak to this, but the, the folks who come from the EBB world who already have that uh, experience with, with these devices often want to base applications on ActiveSync. Mm -hmm. And that's not really, we don't think, the best way to go in the future um, because we typically work with corporate environments where there are server applications that we're trying to get data uh, back to. You know, We'll say, well, if you can't do it over the air and you, you, you're insisting that you want to go through the cradle, then take advantage of the ActiveSync pass-through connectivity and, and do your work on the server as much as possible yeah. instead of doing it to the desktop and pushing data some other way. ActiveSync is going to be like the access <laughs> yeah. of the .NET framework, or the compact framework. 
So the um, the chapter I found interesting on developer challenges, but what's up with the first half of that chapter being on P-Invoke? What, what's the deal with P-Invoke and in, in why you spend so much time on it? Well, I think the biggest uh, issue there is, like we mentioned before, <clears throat> because it's a subset, there are, there's always going to be things that you run into that you want to be able to do in the Windows CE you know, API that you can't do uh, from managed code. And so, so you need to use P-Invoke. But when you use P-Invoke on the, the Compact framework, it's not, you know, again, it's not exactly the same as the way it would work on the, the desktop framework. Let's, so, let's get into that a little bit. So what's valid, what's not? Well, okay. the, the, the good thing about the, you know, the way the P-Invoke works on the Compact framework is that everything is Unicode on Windows CE. And so you don't have the issue of, um, you don't have the issue by default anyway of dealing with, uh, DLL functions that expect ANSI strings and so forth. Everything is is Unicode strings, and so you don't have to to do any, you know, kind of custom marshalling in that respect. Bad thing is that when I when you go in there and try to access some of these uh, Windows CE functions, you oftentimes have to pass it structures. You know, just like in the Win32 API, and so you have to pass it a pointer to a structure, and some of those structures don't contain um, totally what we would call blittable Blittable types, right? right? Those are the types, types like integers and so forth that are represented the same in the unmanaged world as in the, the managed world. So right. as a result, um, some of those structures might contain strings, which in the managed world are reference types, and in the compact framework, you can't it can't marshal structures that contain reference types over to unmanaged code. String is a very weird kind of thing. So yeah. It's a, yeah, an, an immutable reference type. Right, it's a reference type that thinks it's a value type. <laughs> exactly. So we talked just briefly in the book about, you know, some options that you could go through to be able to, you know, pass these structures with reference types. And then we expanded on that in a couple of white papers that we have out on MSDN. So there's an advanced uh, P-Invoke white paper on the Compact Framework that kind of walks through all the the options from from using unsafe string pointers in C-sharp to creating your own custom string pointer class that you could use in VB and, and so forth. So We'll have to, uh, we'll post that URL for the listeners. But after showing this, what challenges do you discuss or show? Like, what are some of the challenges there? Oh, as far as examples? Yeah. Yeah, the, some of the code snippets in there do things like making phone calls on a, on a pocket PC phone edition device, being able mm. to look at the call log. You know, so if you want to automate making phone calls from inside your, your business app, you're going to need to access the, the phone DLL. Mm-hmm. There's no managed, you know, equivalent for that. Huh. So that's one big example. The other one is this idea of, of when you do synchronize, you know, with ActiveSync. Right. Um, there's a Win30 or there's a WinCE API call that can notify your application that a synchronization has occurred or, you know, power, power on events or other things like that. So... We show you how to call the CE run app at event run app at event uh, API to get that done. So, well, uh, we have more questions for you, but now is the time in our show when we do a little segment we like to call the Linux vulnerability of the week. Hello, Mr. Bull. Let's you and me fight. <laughs> And as uh, our diehard listeners know, and maybe you don't, but uh, 
This is a regular bit we do, and we don't like to point fingers, and we're not saying Windows doesn't have bugs. Windows has bugs. Um, the point here is that everybody has bugs, and some of our more uh, zealous uh, Linux people like to make the claim that Linux doesn't have bugs, and it's a completely safe operating system. It doesn't crash and, and the like. So we just want to give equal time to those uh, to those issues that come up, and every week there seems to be at least one uh, showstopper. And, and uh, I just wanted to dedicate this week's Linux vulnerabilities to Christopher Anthony. Yes. Our zealot friend out there who's really shown us the light. So this is for you, Chris. We love you. For you, Chris. Don't ever change. Uh, So this one is uh, at the LinuxSecurity.com advisories, the Debian Security Advisory DSA 466-1 in the kernel source 2.2.10, a failing function and TLB flush. And Paul, somebody, and somebody else of ISEC.pl, I'm not even going to try to pronounce their names, <laughs> discovered a critical security vulnerability. And this was posted yesterday, Thursday, March 18th. A security vulnerability in the memory management code of Linux inside the MREMAP, MRE MAP2 system call. Due to flushing the TLB, the trans- translation look aside buffer and address cache. Due to flushing that too early, it is possible for an attacker to trigger a local root exploit. Ooh, that sounds heinous. Uh, the attack vectors for 2.4.x and 2.2.x kernels are exclusive for the respective kernel series, though. We formally believe that the exploitable vulnerability in 2.4x does not exist in 2.2x, which is still true. However, it turned out that a second sort of vulnerability is indeed exploitable in 2.2x, but not in 2.4x with a different exploit, of course. And there is the Linux vulnerability of the week. What do you think of that, guys? Bravo! A little round of applause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Getting weird. We like to have fun. Somebody on the chat line says this segment is whack. <laughs> 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 that kernel is so old. Somebody says. <clears throat> so, uh, getting back to uh, what we were talking about here, um, I want to know how I can determine when my compact framework application is being slow, or how can I measure? performance bottlenecks? Excellent question. Um, And there are some challenges in that area uh, because you don't have just the outright profiling capability like you do on the desktop, right? You can't just run a profiling tool on it very easily. Um, But there are things you can do. Um, You can measure, you know, like point A to point B in your code and try to drill down from there to find out where different things are are happening. Uh, We have a sample in one of the latter chapters on uh, performance dealing with taking advantage of the APIs, uh, the query performance counter uh, calls, so that we can call down the API and, and, and just do a measurement from point A to point B and, and have a pretty realistic, accurate answer. So it's kind of a, a science, if you will, where you're going to just kind of have to work that kind of thing out to figure out where the problems are. What are some of the typical bottlenecks that people find or some tips that you can give people for uh... – we can definitely give some tips. I think one of the biggest areas that we see are people trying to do too much, like a desktop app. We talk about you know, that the example you gave earlier, 10,000 controls. Right. That's going to be a problem. Uh, but the, the base issues are going to be things around um, 
you know, too many objects is not a good thing. Um, even if you, you know, open and close objects or release them a lot, that garbage collection is going to be um, pretty tough. Whenever you do full collections, which do happen a lot in the compact framework hmm. in memory-intensive environments, that's going to hurt your app, and that's what you're looking for. You know, a, a typical example of that would be something like, you know, a desktop developer wouldn't think twice about creating, recreating a command object to talk to SQL Server and repopulating its parameters and, and going on its way. Whereas in the compact framework, you want to be a little bit smarter about it and say that, you know, if I build a command object to talk to SQL CE and execute the statement, you know, I've done that once, so I want to make sure I hold on to that and I'm able to reference it again rather than having to recreate, you know, putting extra pressure on the garbage collector and so forth. So you just want to think more about caching things that you that you already have just from an object standpoint. Another idea that um, that I, something that I've done on the Compact Framework on a, the IPAC is when doing data entry, use a wizard and uh, like a sort of a script that will ask the question that goes on the label and then provide a text box, a single text box to collect all of the different pieces of data or maybe a single screen where you just keep rotating the same five boxes. And uh, so you're essentially building your form on the fly based on what their answers are. And, uh, you know, I wrote some helper classes to do that. That way you don't have to create a bazillion different forms or, you know, one form with a lot of different controls on it. You can just kind of keep reusing the same stuff. Exactly. And once the controls get created, then, you know, repositioning them and repurposing them, you know, you don't have to to take that hit again of the, the creation. So that's a, hmm. that's a great cool. idea. Yeah. Another issue in that area, in the earlier days, and it's gotten better now, and, and due to, uh, we should make sure we mention this, the Service Pack 2 for the Compact Framework helps several of these areas out. But uh, one of the earlier issues was the way that Visual Studio generates the code. When you're dragging and dropping controls onto a form, you know, Visual Studio is underneath uh, writing code for you, the Compact Framework didn't, didn't like the order of some of those things. Um, that it generated. Plus, if you go and look at that code that it generates, like, you know, how the font objects are generated for every control, those are objects that are going against that uh, garbage collection because they're, they're only used for, you know, a short time to get the generation done, and then they're basically done. So all those things add up uh, that'll, that'll affect your garbage collection. But the, the real issue starts becoming how do you figure out, you know, what's the garbage collection uh, and, and other areas like that? What's going on underneath the hood? There is a um, undocumented feature, and you're starting to see some people talk about it, but it's a registry key you can set that will turn on a little profiling report hmm. that the .NET wow. runtime, the Compact Framework runtime, will, will generate on the device. And then you can pull this report back and actually look at several performance statistics, uh, things like full collections and, and different GC-related items, to so kind of get an idea of what's going on in your app. So. If you're trying to figure out where your application is slow, if you're doing the thing where you're measuring point A to point B, combined with only testing different or, or try to, you know, subsets of your application that you can basically break down. So you try to figure out where these issues are occurring. Um, those are two pretty good tips that will probably get you on your way. Good. Cool. Excellent. Um, what about security? Now, I know that security, as we've been talking about lately, is like all the rage and people want to know, you know, how do I encrypt things and how do I authenticate properly? And um, how, obviously, these things pose a security risk just by their nature. I mean, somebody could just pick up your device and walk off with it and uh, start using it. 
So, um, you know, how, what are things that you can do to protect applications and secure apps in general on these things? Well, one of the things we did in the, in the book is we, we devoted one chapter to security. And in that chapter, we kind of walked through the different uh, layers, you know, kind of following the, the principle of applying defense in depth. You know, you want to you secure not only the data, but the application, also the device, also the, you know, the communications channel. So, you know, just to kind of in a rough outline, if you walk through those, you know, you can secure um, a Pocket PC device, for example, through power on password authentication. And, and then that's sort of like, you know, adding another layer of inconvenience to the user. But exactly. Yeah, you just have to deal with it if you want. That's right. And, that, and there's also third-party products that do the same thing with different, uh, you know, apply different password strengths and, and so forth. So, you know, that's the most basic, you could say. What about the thumbprint reader? Now, I got the HP that supposedly had a thumbprint reader on it, but either I can't find it or it's missing. It's where the button is, where the, the central directional button is, the D button. Yeah? Yeah, it's right there. So how does one use it? That's an excellent question. I think <laughs> I haven't looked at it myself. I've heard there was uh, a managed provider for it that basically it's going to pre-invoke its way back into their, their DLL. Peter says he's going to show me how to use it. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, feel like, uh, I feel like an old man here. So I feel like my dad who used to stand in front of the microwave and go, come on! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted. So third-party products for locking things down, you said. Right. And there is there is power on authentication for for Pocket PC 2002. Okay. So then you can secure the application, right? So if the application talks to a SQL Server uh, using the SQL CE replication stuff that we talked about earlier, you know, RDA and merge replication, then um, you can authenticate to a proxy server. You can authenticate to the IIS server on which the, the SQL CE server code resides. And then you can also provide or request, require, uh, credentials to the actual SQL server. Now, most people wouldn't do all three, you know, types of things. But when you use SQL server, that's it, there are authentication properties built into the managed classes so that you can, you know, require the user to enter a username and password and be able to authenticate all the way to SQL server. And, and notice the parallels back to the smart client. Right. Ideas that we talked about earlier. Sure. All, all those principles are going to apply to this. But there are some that are specific to um, the device, right? In, in the area of like um, SQL CE. Yep. Yeah, exactly. One thing that I did, speaking of uh, SQL, getting away from security for a minute, is uh, if I needed to write an application that just needed to store like a small list of data, not a lot of data, but a small list of data that needed to um, just be persisted, I would just use write XML on a data set, you know, bind a data set to uh, some text boxes and a list box or something like that and just write XML out to an XML file. Um, benefits and drawbacks of that? In the, in the book, we kind of contrast that approach with using SQL CE in that chapter where we talk about kind of robust, you know, data caching. And it really comes down to um, if I need a query engine, you know, so if I need to store enough data where I'm going to select subsets of that data, and I need to do it uh, quickly, you know, in the order of a couple thousand, you know, rows of data, something like that on the device, then SQL CE becomes much more attractive for that uh, because SQL CE 2.0 can do index uh, seeks, and you can do parameterized queries and all sorts of, uh, you know, same kind of stuff you can do on SQL 2000, which is cool. Um, 
But if it's a self-contained set of data that you're just going to load in and let the user uh, work on, you're not really doing any querying of it, then you know, certainly using the data set is the, the simplest uh, approach, the, the one that you're going to be able to implement a lot quicker. So. Yeah. Well, okay. and some other points there. Depending yeah. on the size of that file that you serialize out, right? if, if you're going to use that one time, and, it, and if it has enough size to it, it's not necessarily the best way to go. Probably better to use the, an XML text reader, hmm. and, and you can hmm. you can fly through that much faster if it's just a single usage. If it's something you're going to be binding to, or you're going to you're going to you know iterate it multiple times, okay. a data set's probably going to be a better way to go. And if you're going to do something more more robust with it, like the seeks, like Dan's referring to, then SQL CE is going to be the way to go. But something to consider any time that you persist data locally, just like we talked about at Dev Days. Um, is it okay if that data is viewable in case that device gets you know out of out of your hands and someone else gets to it? Right. Um, the same issue applies to, to SQL CE. If you persist data to the disk and you, you well you know SQL CE when you turn the de- device off it's going to persist itself, right? right? SQL CE data and the data set data they are viewable. They are clear text so you can see it. Hmm. What about uh, encryption? Right, encryption. By that's, options. That's true. Yeah. And can you encrypt that data? SQL CE, however, does include password-based encryption. So if you provide a password when you're creating your database, um, it uses that, that password to generate a key and then will encrypt the data file for you. And, of course, the strength of your encryption is based on the length of your, of your password. So, you know, if you're designing an application and forcing people to use passwords or whatever, you'd have to, you know, you'd want to enforce the length of those passwords as well as, your app creates the CE database, for example. But yeah, the, the file encryption is built into SQL CE where it is not uh, for a data set. So if I wanted to encrypt that data set on the device, I'd have to p-invoke my way down to uh, the crypto API or use um, you know, a managed class that somebody has written. I'm not sure if there's one in OpenNet CF or not, but that would be the first place I would look, of course. Yeah. Well, another reason that p-invoke should be the center of your universe, right? Yeah. Well, in contact framework uh, efforts, you're going to have to get familiar with it. Yeah, let's just say some library to help you. You definitely have to be familiar. So, so uh, what what kinds of things can you do asynchronously in the compact framework with multiple threads? Actually, before you answer that, let me ask this question: Are there uh, store procedures in SQL CE? There are not store procedures in CE. There are. In the version 2.0, which came out, you know, right before the Compact Framework, um, there are parameterized queries, which we didn't have uh, previously. So I can set up command objects and SQL parameters and populate the, the parameters, which is nice. But yeah, store procedures aren't in this one, but will likely, I believe, make it into the next version. So. Version 3. Uh, we should hear yep. more about that next week. Uh, cool. The guy you should have on someday is uh, Kevin Collins from the SQL CE team and hmm. does a great job of talking about those issues. Okay, good. Just a little plug. Yeah, no, we'll uh, look them up. Good stuff. What can we do asynchronously uh, with with the Compact Framework? Uh, When people look at that that issue, one of the things they'll see is that, like, asynchronous delegates are not supported. And that might make one, you know, deduce that there's no asynchronous capability, which is totally untrue. Mm. Um, There are several places uh, in the framework that, that support this. Um, things around networking, uh, things around uh, file I/O, um, the networking area specifically, uh, sockets, 
I keep bringing that up for you, Carl. Right. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Web services. If, uh, you can't obviously host a web service, but you can consume a web service just the same way that you can on the desktop. Coding style is identical, and it's the same editor experience, but um, you can do that asynchronously. The, the issue that you're going to run into is updating the, the UI. Hmm. Oh, so you have that same issue of uh, the you have to call UI on the same thread it was created on? You do have that same issue, but one of the constraints of the Compact Framework is that it doesn't support that that um, the form method. There's no invoke method. Override methods to pass the the, the data into it. So asynchronize that. invoke huh. is not in, is not implemented. So there's a workaround for that. Ooh, and I bet that's in your book. I buy the book workaround. But you got to buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it, it's you'll find it talked about on the internet as well. It's a great book. Three, I, we you cover know, it. I got to say, you guys, it's a great book. I I read through it. I found the things that I was interested in finding, and the answers are clearly written. And and uh, you know, it's it's not a tome. It's a a little under four hundred pages long, but but it's good, especially if you know the framework, you know, and you're you're already a, a programmer, a VB or C sharp programmer, because you guys have examples in both languages, right? And uh, no, it's great. Well, while good things are being said about the book, I wanted to say that Derek Ferguson of the .NET Developers Journal left us a note here that says, Mobility rocks. Your book is excellent. Keep up the good work. All right. So that's cool stuff to hear. Good, Derek. Oh, uh, Derek. Derek's a friend of ours. Oh. And, uh, so we, Derek. <laughs> Derek is he's a plant. The, uh, he's the editor of uh, the .NET Developers Journal. Right. Okay. But the, he also has a quote in our book as well. So thanks, Derek, for that. But uh, we, uh, Dan and I have a column on the .NET Developers Journal. We have the mobility column. Cool. And uh, do a lot of work in that, that area. And we've, we've covered a lot of these topics um, in, in the magazine. And we've touched other areas as well that we even brought up today, like uh, the ASP.NET mobile controls. Hmm. Um, so, we, we, you know, we do talk a lot about mobility. And we, we are focused on, on .NET, like you said earlier. Well, I want to take this opportunity to remind the listeners, the live listeners out there, that if they know the uh, the secret namespace of the week, to go ahead and send us a message with that now, and we're going to choose from the uh, the people who uh, get the answer correctly, and we're going to give one lucky winner a copy of Windows Server 2003 Enterprise Edition with 25 client licenses, complements of the Microsoft uh, MSDN Regional Directors Program. And here they come. Yeah, yeah here they rolling come. Rolling in already. They're rolling right in. And uh, in the meantime, I'm going to read a message from Chance Gillespie from CG Digital in Dayton, Ohio. Information and perspectives surrounding development of traditional shrink-wrapped Windows applications with .NET tend to not get the amount of coverage I think it deserves. I found it to be a wonderful experience all around, but requiring the additional install of the framework is an impact on their acceptance. How viable do you think the pocket PC market is for small developers of these types of applications that make use of the compact framework? That is an excellent point. Um, and just like you know, we faced on the desktop side of how, do we, how are we going to get the framework on, onto the, to the box, uh, we definitely face that on the small device side. The, the bigger issue is is that when you install it yourself, you know it's going to be in RAM as opposed to ROM, so that's going to hurt your your application space. So some of the the, the manufacturers now are going to be installing that in the ROM, and that that helps that that tremendously. But otherwise, you're going to have to you know, bootstrap it and, and get it down there somehow. And, and there's some some third party 
tools, and there's some other you know documented solutions on that as well. So um, you might want to check out uh, the Mobility uh, Developer Center under MSDN. If you go to msdn.com/mobility and look at the uh, there's a an FAQ there, a fact um, that's that's managed by that group specifically uh, Jonathan Wells, the, the the evangelist for that team. They have several snippets on how to do those kind of things, at least to get you by for the short term, but it's just like the desktop answer. Eventually, it won't be an issue. Well, and already, you know, Pocket PC 2003 compact framework is included as well as well as on, you know, some smart devices. So I think that's like getting the framework on the the smart devices that are based on Microsoft stuff, you know, Windows CE, is, is an issue that's going away. So there, There's still some devices out there that have the problem, though. And, and here's a little plug for myself. I, I wrote a simple little utility that lets you create um, the installation bootstrapper really easily. And uh, I, I couldn't package it, obviously, because I'm pretty sure there's a problem with the with the licensing. I'm not allowed to do that, but it's it's really easy to put together. I also wrote a really easy installer so you can quickly package your .NET CF app and install it. It actually uses tools from EVB, which is pretty cool. I just kind of wrote a little wrap around that stuff. So I really about there. that. What'd you say? How do we find out about that? Do you talk about it on your blog? Or? Yeah, it's on my blog. You'd probably just have to search for Rory Blythe.net CF installer or something like that um, in Google, and it'd come up. I still get hits for it pretty regularly. And uh, it, it it's not a really fancy app, but if you want to do it for yourself or for like an in-house application, it'll save you a lot of money. Um, it's also not as flexible as some of the pay-for solutions out there, but depending on what you're doing, it, it, it can help out a bit, in my opinion. I used it myself, and I, I I had a good time with it. It was a lot of fun to write too. So, wow, we're just getting like a billion tons, and tons <laughs> of people sending in the. Uh... Well, anyway, so uh, what's next? What's on the horizon for you guys? Are you going to write a uh, another another book on this stuff, or you know where where uh, where do you can where do you see your time being spent in the next? Oh, I don't know, six months. Question, Dan, you want to take that one? Well, I'll take part of it anyway. No, okay. Uh, one of the things that, that we've done in the past is write uh, some courseware. You know, the company that we work for both uh, teaches and does consulting. So we've written some courseware around the desktop version of the framework, both for web developers and also uh, patterns and architecture course, talking about kind of larger issues. Um, one of the options, one of the things we're thinking about is is writing some courseware, not just for for Whidbey, but even perhaps for some compact framework stuff going forward. So that's kind of one option. And then there's always all this, uh, you know, new stuff that will be in the next version of, of CF for Whidbey. Whatever um, that is. Right, whatever <laughs> that is provides an opportunity, you know, to do a book on that too. So. And, uh, well, I think we do know some of the things are going to be coming out. I mean, um, obviously the, the C++ developers are going to be happier because mm-hmm. that those tools are going to be brought in. Oh, I thought it was because you know. C++ was going away. I thought that's <laughs> right. what you were going to say. Ding dong, the witch is dead, the wicked witch, the wicked witch. Ding. Well, yeah. but there's a large base of uh, C++ developers out there for these devices. Huh. So uh, that's, that's true. That's, yeah. I was just kidding about the witch song. Yeah, we love C++. <laughs> it's what we do here when excuse me, nobody's looking. Yeah. So they're, they're, you're going to see uh, ATL, MFC, uh, all these uh, separate tools for like, you know, a remote registry and all that kind of stuff are going to be brought inside the same IDE. So that'll be a nice thing. MSMQ support. Uh, we'll definitely see areas around performance and, and, 
profiling. Um, how about serial ports? How about the registry? I mean, yeah, how about it? I mean, there's a lot of things <laughs> that aren't there that will be there in the next version um, that we, we know. A common interrupt's a big one. Um, there'll be some new controls, and, and that was one of the areas that people really asked for, like um, the web browser, uh, oh, the daytime yeah. picker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like the uh, the balloon. The notification balloon will be in there. Um, oh, that's cool. So a lot of good stuff Link coming. label, yeah. that was one that people showed a lot of examples, or yeah. early snippets on, that now will be built in. Um, definitely some, some GDI enhancements. Um, the designer experience is going to be uh, made better. Uh, enhanced uh, emulators. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we could just, you could definitely mention several around that area. The, the device management. We'll see. Oh, good, yeah. How about uh, accessing message queue? How about accessing the different po pocket outlook uh, pieces? Yeah, um, good stuff. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of stuff that they are doing, and it'll be, uh, it's it's definitely going to raise the bar, but it's going to be a ways off is the only problem. So, In, in a nutshell, though, everything is getting better is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And the devices are getting better. Guy. Hey, that's the way of .NET, right? Yeah, it's Everything's true. better. I mean, let's talk, let's, let's talk with me. Uh, oh, God, I know. It's you know, ridiculous. 70% less code. I mean, life's getting better. Life is getting cool. definitely better. So, Dan, um, in the book, you have this Latin dedication, Pro Lora Homo Doctus in Se Simper Divitias Habit. I can't believe you, you, believed you, you read that and pronounced it correctly. Yeah, that was perfect pronunciation right there. Oh, stop it. So, so, uh, so who's Laura? So Laura is my uh, eight-year-old daughter. Oh, who we are uh, homeschooling and trying to instill, you know, some sense of of learning for learning's sake. So that uh, Latin fits there. Definitely. So Latin fits that. So the the, <laughs> the question is, uh, or the uh, quote is, uh, basically, for Laura, um, an educated man always has wealth within himself. It's kind of oh, a cool, well-known Latin quotation. So. Yeah. So the goal is that she'll have to learn Latin and then read that someday, right? Wow. I thought she already knew that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. Uh, well, it, we've come to that time in our show when we have to give away the uh, the prize, uh, compliments of the MSDN Regional Director Program, of which uh, John and I are a part. And the lucky winner of the namespace, which happens to be uh, system.runtime.serialization.formatters, for those people, some guy said, damn, I didn't hear it. And that's the whole point. The winner is Edward Emmanuel from Leggett and Platt in Joplin, Missouri. Bravo. Bravo. Good Congratulations, show. Edward. You ha are the proud owner of a bouncing baby box. <laughs> that's, that's creepy, man. A valuable box. A very valuable box. Yeah, that's bouncing in the multiple box. thousands of dollars range of yeah. box. As in, Rory doesn't have his own one of these boxes, boxes. No. Yeah. John Box, do you have that box? I have a box of those boxes at the box home. <laughs> John Box and Dan Fox, Fox and Box on .NET Rocks. It's going to sound like it. Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I like it. We have any last-minute uh, words of wisdom to impart on our on our listeners, guys? Well, they're going to be at the Mobile DevCon, right? Yeah. We'll yeah. be there next week. Okay. Cool. Are you guys also going to be at DevTeach, either of you? No, I've been invited nope. to DevTeach. I heard that last week, and it sounds pretty cool to me. It's going to be cool. How about Dev Connections? Nope. Nope. Tech Ed. Tech Ed. Yeah, I'll see you there. Well, sounds hey, good. Have, have everybody go out and find us a killer app so we can have more compact framework yeah, opportunities. We, we yeah, we definitely need a killer app. Well, we we just need killer hardware and, 
a reason for living. Well, thanks, guys. <laughs> on behalf of Rory and myself, the listening public, thanks for coming on Dot and Rocks and being so awesome. I learned so much stuff. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Oh,